This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're here as a guest and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, you'll raise your hand. Our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible. Just raise your hand and leave it up. You'll be able to follow along as we look at Ephesians 2 today. I do want to just, before we start, I hope you were as motivated as I was when you heard Kent Caps, the most amazing pastoral intern in the history of the Christian church. I hope you're a guest. You're, you're sitting there going, that's a pastoral intern. This is a guy, it's a, he's a gift to our church. I hope you picked up his passion for God's Word. What Kent loves, and what I love about Kent, is he loves you, and he loves God's Word, and his passion, and he is passionate, is to impart to you this love for God's Word for your joy. He's working together with us for our joy. I sat there with Sherry and said, I want to go. But it's going to be hard for me to go because I'm never ready to preach my sermon at 8.45 on Sunday morning. So I envy you. I hope that you are able to attend these four classes. And this is his fastball, biblical theology. So I encourage you to participate. You will not complain if you go. You will be glad you were there. Should I stop? Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look today at verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, And He came 
and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's Word for us today. I think He's calling us to welcome every nation for His great glory. Welcome every nation for His great glory. Racism is a form of self-exaltation. Jesus didn't grasp His divine position, but He emptied Himself instead for you and me if you're a Christian. He emptied Himself to serve others. So, so followers of Christ thrive in the midst of diversity. Diversity in the church makes the gospel clear. It makes the gospel attractive. It's, it's part of the beauty of the church. Racism is part of the old way of life characterized by sin. And a diversity that's produced by the gospel, by the transforming effect of the gospel, shines in darkness. When you have a nation that's polarized racially, it, it shines. I mentioned recently that I'd gone to Yellowstone National Park and I was on a hike with some very in-shape old men. And we went for a hike to go fishing at a river. The man I was with is a very serious fisherman. He really doesn't talk about much else. But that day, getting to the river meant walking through what's called the Beckler Meadows. It's, a, it's just a huge, massive tract of land in, in kind of the far corner of Yellowstone National Park. And it's usually a wetland because of the snow and the drainage. So it's very unique. And my friend stopped when we first entered the meadow before we got to the river. We we're going to fish. And it, it got my attention because if you remember, it's, he didn't stop much in the three and a half mile hike, but he stopped at the meadow. He stopped to draw my attention to the grass in the meadow. In particular, there was one particular grass that one type of grass that I th I think was is the most beautiful grass I've ever seen in my life. 
and he wanted me to see it. But what he was most excited about was not that one particular grass. What he was most excited about, what he wanted to tell me about, was all the different types of grasses that we were going to see as we walked about a mile through these meadows. And as we walked that day through them, the diversity, the, the different types of grasses in these meadows was striking. I was distracted as I noticed, wow, there really is a lot of different grasses in this meadow. My friend said that he's often thought about coming to the Beckler Meadows and not fishing but just counting how many types of grasses there are in that meadow. To walk that far with that river filled with trout and not fish. For my friend, it's never going to happen, but even the thought reveals how beautiful and how interesting and how revealing diversity in creation is. We talked one time about beetles. Actually, we've talked a lot about beetles in this church. 150 families of beetles, and in one family, 30,000 different species. They, this all says something about God. Our Creator is big. He is huge. He's immense. He's infinite. He's different than us. He is not limited. He is not mortal. He's creative and He's powerful. Why didn't He just make one kind of grass? One type of grass can be beautiful. He, he didn't make one kind because He can make all kinds. And He is creative and powerful. He can do that. That's who God is. He creates diversity for His glory and our joy. It glorifies Him. He has no limits. It's funny. Lord, why? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. These created things, they're not the glory of God, but they declare or they display the glory of God. They reveal something about God that is beautiful, that's attractive. We, we see the grasses with our physical eyes and, and we perceive if by the grace of God we're discerning, we perceive with the eyes of our heart the glory of God. I had a religious experience walking through those meadows. The spiritual eyes of my soul saw more than just the grass, the physical grass. There's a joy that comes. And diversity in the church reveals something about the greatness and the beauty of God, doesn't it? Something about the love of God. 
When, when diverse people unite together in the church, it glorifies the gospel. It glorifies Christ and His work. It glorifies God. Chris thanked the Lord this morning for the different nations. He counted 16 different nations represented in our church. Aren't you grateful for that? I'd just like to thank you. If you're from a different nation, thank you. I know that culturally, many of you in, in this room sacrifice something to be here. We're, we're grateful. So today, fellow citizens, trying to give you a biblical perspective of diversity from Ephesians 2. It's not the only clear teaching on the diversity of the church. In fact, it's found throughout the Bible. But it is one of many places this morning that we can turn and learn that God's people in the new covenant through Christ come from every nation. So note in our text today, the mystery, the people, and the wall. Number one, the mystery. Paul is writing about a mystery. So if you look in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he said, God the Father made known to us the mystery of His will. And here in chapter 3, I'm sorry, in, in the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And he defines what that mystery is in chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery of God's will. It's the mystery that's been made to Paul, made known to Paul by revelation. It's a mystery, he says again in chapter 3, that was hidden in God for ages, but now it's been revealed. And he's revealing it to his readers. It's not a mystery like a novel, like a mystery novel, like a Sherlock Holmes, like a whodunit. This kind of mystery is something only God knew for ages. It was hidden from people, but now he's revealed. That's a biblical mystery, a New Testament mystery. And what's most important is that the mystery is that Gentiles are members of God's new covenant people, the church. Gentiles are members. Redemption has come to the nations. Not one nation, but to every nation. And it is a shocking mystery. Verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. People were called the uncircumcised if they were not 
Jewish. You were called the uncircumcision. It's what we might call a racial slur. Someone who was uncircumcised was a Gentile. They were far off. They were outside. They weren't welcome. The circumcision is is just the Jewish people. So the uncircumcised, remember verse 12, you were at that time separated from Christ. Alienated from God's people. Strangers to the covenants, the agreement with God, the, the agreements, the promises that allowed you access to God. You had no hope. You were without God. That's what somebody said when they said the, the uncircumcised. No hope without God. Separated. What matters in this text is access to God. Look at verse 18. Through Christ, we both, Jews, Gentiles, circumcised, uncircumcised, we have access in one spirit to the Father. That's what matters. And so, in the Old Covenant, to be called the uncircumcised is to not have access to God. But now, verse 13, in Christ, you who once were far off, you've been brought near. The Gospel brings not one nation near. The Gospel brings every nation near. All people. So this old division between people is no longer applicable. It's no longer necessary. Under the Old Covenant, there there was a clear line. Those near, those far off. Jews... God's nation, God's people, Gentile. But now there's a new classification called the church. And it transcends all this. It's beautiful. It's it's people that have been brought near to God, that have access to God from every nation. And the greatest experience, the greatest good for any person is access to God. It's fellowship with God. That's the great treasure of the kingdom. That's why we sell all and follow Christ because it gives us access to God. We are filled with joy. We are content in Christ because that is the treasure. So much so that we would say to die is gain. How how do we have this access? How do we have this great treasure? The blood of Christ. The Gospel, the good news that He died on the cross as our substitute. He died in the place of sinners. And now, they can be forgiven of their sins. And they can come boldly to the throne of grace. They have access to God. Verse 15, He died that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. Bringing reconciliation. Verse 19, 
So you're no longer strangers and aliens, those who are far off. You're fellow citizens. You're members of the household of God. He didn't just die for the Jewish people. He died for Gentiles. That's, that's the amazing mystery. And now both the circumcision and the uncircumcision draw near to God one way, through Jesus Christ. He reconciled us, verse 16, both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He, he reconciled people. He brought peace to their relationships. The Gospel brings reconciliation where there is racial hatred. Christ abolished the law, and so now both of these hostile groups are reconciled to God, and they have peace with one another. They share fellowship with God, so they share fellowship with each other. All the nations, every nation now is united in the gospel, in one body. Verse 16, this is the church what Paul calls the body of Christ. And his gospel work, his work of reconciliation, kills the hostility. It kills racism. And now, peace is preached to the whole world. Every nation. Peter said of the church in 1 Peter, you're a, you're a chosen race. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, He chose one nation, Israel. The Jewish people were God's people, God's nation. In Christ, the church is chosen. And it includes every nation. The chosen race is made up of every race. It's a mystery. It's diverse. That people from every nation now are fellow citizens in this nation. This people. Verse 19 says, in, in the Old Testament, strangers, strangers, complete foreigners, no rights, no privileges, aliens, non-citizens, no rights, no protections. We had this interesting prophetic words this morning about protection. The church is built on, verse 20, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Which is why we named this church Cornerstone. To draw attention to Christ in whom, verse 21, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
made up of Christians from every nation. They're the new temple of God. The temple where God manifests His presence is now the church. This is where He has chosen to dwell. And He meets with His people. According to the New Testament, He's present with us today. People from every nation experiencing fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. No more hostility, but instead peace. It's a new community united in Christ. Characterized by love in the bond of peace. Jake announced that we have a a class coming up that it's called Exploring Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. It's, it's, it's a class meant to kind of inform you about what we're about, what this local church is about. And I hope you'll come and find out. If you wanted to be a member of this church, you should go to that class. But even if you just want to find out more, it's a It's a class that will be instructive, I think. My point is, though, in light of these verses, just be aware of this. Belonging to a local church should be the norm. You don't have to be a member of this church, but if you're a Christian, you are a part of the church And that means not belonging to a local church, a visible church. Really, it's not an option in the New Testament. So, so pursue membership in some local church. But this is the mystery. Gentiles are fellow heirs. Gentiles are members of the same body. It's striking. People have access to God through Christ from every nation. Number two, point two, notice the people. This this new people, they no longer have to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple there because they themselves have become the temple. They're joined together, one new people, where God dwells in the Spirit. Verse 12 Remember that you were at that time, prior to responding to the gospel, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were alienated from being a fellow citizen. You were strangers to any kind of promises from God, any kind of covenant from God. There was no hope. You were without God prior to the gospel. Under the old covenant, you, you were separate from Israel and therefore separate from God. All the Gentiles were far off apart from Christ, but now they're full citizens in the kingdom. That's the people. This is what shocked people in the book of Acts. When we see the Spirit poured out, this is what shocked them. It shocked them way more than speaking in tongues. This is what they were shocked about, that the gift of the Spirit was given to the Gentiles. 
If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter has these visions. He's led to a Gentile's home, Cornelius, to preach the good news. Acts 10.34 says, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. No racial distinctions. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is accepted. They have access to God. And the Holy Spirit fell then in Acts 10 on all those who heard the Gospel. And it was literally amazing. In, in verse 45, Acts 10, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. <laughs> they were amazed God doesn't show partiality in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, He chose Israel. But in the New Covenant, the Gospel is for every nation. It's amazing. It's stunning. It's striking. Access to God is, is made available to every nation. In Acts 10.46, Peter declared, Can anyone now withhold water for baptizing these people? They they saw him speaking in tongues and praising God, and they knew the Spirit had been poured out just like it had been in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And they saw this and said, can, now we can baptize them in water. They're obviously, they've obviously responded to the Gospel. They've been saved. But look at verse 48. You can see it on the screen. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he asked them, to remain for some days. You know what that meant? That meant staying with them. That meant sharing meals together. This, this was Peter. This was someone who did not have table fellowship with Gentiles. This was a man who was well instructed about clean people and unclean people. It's amazing. Hey, remain! Let's stay together. Let's eat together. A few weeks ago, I said George Custer was a successful Civil War general for the Union Army. He was a national hero. Significant role in defeating the Confederate armies. But that Ironically, he was also a racist, a white supremacist. If you aren't familiar with the Civil War, you might be surprised that a Union general would be a white supremacist, but racial arrogance and hatred were prevalent in all of society, both armies. Exalting your race is a form of self-exaltation. Christ did not exalt Himself. He emptied Himself. He was supreme. But He became unsupreme. For you and me. You, you can't follow Christ and exalt yourself. 
Isn't the diversity of the church, just pause for a minute, isn't it attractive? Isn't it beautiful? Doesn't it make the church beautiful? Doesn't it adorn the gospel? Isn't racism ugly? Don't you love Peter staying with Cornelius and the Gentiles? Aren't you glad? Gospels for every nation. Finally, number three, the wall. The wall. Verse 14, He Himself is our peace, who's made us both one. He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, this has application for everybody in here who's having any kind of relational problem. The gospel reconciles. It brings peace. So, regardless of what kind of relational issue you're having, this is applicable to you. And so, I want to encourage you to take possession of grace. It comes to you through the gospel for any and all relationships. In Christ, the most difficult problems are solved in the gospel. There's friendship with God, and so people become friends. They're reconciled. But verse 14 means prior to the gospel, there really was hostility between races. Paul would not be surprised at how polarized our society is by racial issues. He would not be surprised. He would, in fact, expect this to be the case. It's been the case in, in every place, in every age throughout the world. Hostility that divides people is part of this fallen world. It characterizes the old life of sin. But Paul would not allow this in the church because the gospel destroys the hostility. Christ has made us one. Christ has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of the hostility. He's unified these hostile groups. Verse 14, He has broken down the dividing wall. There there was an open courtyard in the temple area around the sanctuary It was the only place the Gentiles were permitted to go in that area. It was called the Court of Gentiles. You may remember when Jesus went into the temple and drove out the the money changers, those who were selling and buying in the temple. He drove them out, and Mark says in Mark 11, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of rotters. My, My My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. When he cleansed the temple, he declared that it was for all the nations. And he spoke those words very close to to a dividing wall between the court of the Gentiles and the inner courts. It prevented this wall in the temple area, prevented Gentiles from entering the inner courts, the most sacred places of the temple. These courts were for Jews only. 
This wall was almost five feet thick. It had inscriptions written all around it in Latin and Greek that said, no outsider is allowed to enter within the barrier surrounding the sanctuary. And if you did, the sign said, you're responsible for your own death. And Jesus stood in the temple with this dividing wall close by and said, my house is for all the nations. And so, these, these national and racial distinctions were no longer valid. He's broken down the barrier wall. Paul seems to be thinking about that wall here in Ephesians 2. Why was there hostility? Where did the hostility come from? Did the Lord encourage the hostility prior to Christ? Did He tell Israel? Did He tell the Jewish people, be hostile to other nations? Actually, it was just the opposite. Even under the Old Covenant, the Lord expected His people. He had a plan of redemption. He, he knew of the plan that He had for, for Christ to come. And He told the Old Covenant people, Rachel read it this morning from Deuteronomy 7, that He chose them, you're a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, He chose you. It wasn't because you were more in number that you were supreme than any other people. For you are the fewest of all people. Verse 8, but it's because the Lord loves you. That's why they were chosen. In Leviticus 19, he says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him harm. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I chose you. I poured my grace out on you. Not because you were special, but because I'm merciful. By grace, they were, they were citizens in His nation. The Lord prophesied in the Old Testament he spoke to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you and it's going to be a blessing to all the nations. One of my first weddings was an interracial wedding. Now, I, I received criticism from everybody for doing the wedding. Another minister opposed me. Both families opposed me. I met with both, both families. The night of the rehearsal dinner, one family member said to me, I thought you were going to stop this. Now my experience has been that interracial marriages bring out racism. Or maybe it wasn't noticeable before. 
It's not always the case, but it's often the case. And some people use Scriptures taken out of their context from the Old Testament to say you shouldn't have interracial marriages. But God insisted in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, that the people of Israel not marry people from other nations because the people from the other nations were not near to God. They were not redeemed by grace. And they had influence on people and, and tended to draw them away from God. So he said, oh, you should marry the redeemed. The New Testament says the same thing. Not to marry someone who is not a Christian. But in the New Testament, the redeemed are from every nation. So interracial marriage is no longer the issue because salvation comes to every nation. The Bible says marry someone who has access to God. That's what the Bible says. Marry someone who's been saved by grace. Why is there racism? Because Satan is still at work. He still lies to people. He still lies to us. Lies are his strategy. He has has clever ways that he works. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. Don't be unaware of what he's about. He promises life, but he brings death. And he is enraged at the coming of Christ. He is, hatred is stirred up, and he hates people. And he hates especially people in the church. And he encourages, and he authorizes anger and hatred and racism. He is behind relational division. If you look, you'll see that, that racism looks like Satan. It summons him. If we hate, we're partners with him. If, if we believe his lies, it's easy to justify. Hatred. But we've really lost our ability to distinguish between good and evil. There's only one unified people of God. And it's a glorious, beautiful thing in the church. I am just so thankful that this this message isn't meant to be corrective to this church because you love the nations. You welcome every nation for God's glory. And I'm very grateful for that. This message is meant to encourage you In the midst of a culture that is so polarized, we have an opportunity for the gospel. Here's what John Piper says. God's will for missions is that every people group be reached 
with the testimony of Christ. And that a people be called out for His name from among all the nations. The beauty of praise that will come to the Lord from the diversity of the nations is greater than the beauty that would come to Him if the chorus of the redeemed were culturally uniform or limited. There's something about God that is so universally praiseworthy and so profoundly beautiful and so comprehensively worthy and so deeply satisfying that God will find passionate admirers in every diverse people group in the world. And His true greatness will be manifest in the breath of the diversity of those who perceive and cherish His beauty. Amen? Father, we pray. We pray, Lord, that You would heal this nation. We pray, Lord, that there would be racial reconciliation. And Lord, we pray that You would fill us with the Spirit And that, Father, we would preach the Gospel in such a way that we would serve our nation. We pray, Lord, that we would be lights in the midst of the darkness as we bring, as ambassadors of Christ, Lord, as we bring the Gospel. And Lord, I thank You, Lord, for the diversity in this church. And I pray that it would increase, Lord. I pray that we would be a church that welcomes the nations for the glory of God. And we pray this, Lord, today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 694 4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.